McMaster University has over 210,000 alumni living in 140 countries around the world, and they are some of the most amazing people you would ever want to meet. Unconventional will introduce you to some of our alumni who are working to make our world a brighter place in their own unique way. Join me, Karen McQuig, Alumni Director at MAC, as we meet alumni in the arts, cutting edge entrepreneurs, alumni leading the way in health, technology, education, and more, as we learn the moments that their path from MAC became unconventional. Chris Buttonham has been on quite a journey since graduation. From humble beginnings, living off of oatmeal and ramen, to raising almost $1 million in venture capital as he founded two companies, and now he splits his time between San Francisco and Hamilton, Ontario. Join me today as we learn more about Chris's unconventional journey after Mac. So why don't we just jump right into it? So um, looking back at your uh, undergraduate career from McMaster, were you one of the students who had sort of like a master plan? You knew exactly what you were going to be doing right after you graduated. Um, so if you were, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? And if you weren't, how did you end up where you are right now? Yeah, I, um, I did always know what I wanted to do. I think I was four years old and I knew uh, the only word, word I knew how to spell was entrepreneur. <laughs> um, and so going into university, I sort of had that same idea. Um, I went to McMaster um, for business. I didn't end up uh, completing that degree. ended up completing a sociology degree. Um, but always knew that I wanted to start a business. In fact, I started a business while I was at McMaster. And so that was sort of scratching the entrepreneurial itch. Um, but of course, like everything, I, I thought that it would look one way and it ended up looking completely different. Um, but I did always know that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and that's, um, you know, how, how I pursued um, my career during and after McMaster. So one thing that strikes me is when I graduated from McMaster, low those many years ago, uh, <laughs> ninety, no one in anybody that I knew came out saying, I want to be an entrepreneur. And mm -hmm. today, let's flash forward to like 2020, there is a ton of students who come out of undergraduate and say, that's what I want to do. So what is it about you, you think that is it, is it, um, just being exposed to that, like you, you seeing that as you're growing up, is it something that you've learned in school? Does it, is it, um, you know, you have to be a certain kind of person. I don't know. It's just, it's just very strict. Cause I can't think mm -hmm. of one person I went to school with that said that or actually became an entrepreneur. Right. Yeah. I think that, I think, first of all, I think that that's actually a problem. Um, I think that just personally, my belief is that entrepreneurs entrepreneurship um is something innate in in people um i don't think that that makes it right or wrong uh but i think for me personally like you pointed out um uh it was sort of environmental my father was an entrepreneur and so i think i picked up some of the personality traits and um things that uh, he sort of embodies well, as, a, as I was growing up. And I think that's where I got some of that from. But I think that um, this is absolutely 
changed and um you're you're right in pointing that out and i just personally think that it it's an over glorification of the entrepreneurial lifestyle and i think that that's really problematic because i think what we find is young folks look at it and say oh cool like get to fly all over the place or raise venture capital or you know be independent and be your own boss and all these other things but people aren't talking about the depression or anxiety the instability the insecurity the 12 to 14 hour days the seven day a week 365 type career and for me i don't have another gear i i can't imagine working for someone else um and i don't look down upon that i just that is just a gear that i have but i do think that it is problematic that we're glorifying that and not talking about the real experience of of going into entrepreneurship yeah i guess it's sort of like the um you know, I think of, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, what was that movie? Social Network, like was mm -hmm. it Social Network? Yeah. So you see the, you see this, the ultimate success, but you right. don't see the hundreds of people who spend and, and all the, the stress. So how do you manage that? Because it is, I mean, you have to be comfortable with risk. You have to be able to manage your stress. It can be very lonely um, yes. at times. So how, how, how are you handling that? It's a good question. I think everyone has their own things that they anchor towards. It's definitely something that it's a continual work in progress. For me, some of my anchors are surrounding myself with really good people. Um, that's one of the reasons I moved to the Bay Area from Hamilton is just trying to surround myself with like the smartest people in my field possible and, and have them as a support system. I have been very fortunate to have really incredible advisors and mentors some of whom who have invested in our company and i get to call them and just sort of feel comfortable enough to vent and it's like a therapy session that's definitely something that helps me another thing on a personal level is just um uh being able to work out so having a healthy um physical regime i get up every morning at about 5 a.m night I do my workout and that really anchors my day and gives me some space to clear my mind and, and stay focused, but it's, it's tough. It's a work in progress for sure. Yeah. So let's go back to, um, and I just want to make sure I got this great. Okay. So let's go back to, um, when you were, um, a student and you, mm -hmm. um, founded one base in 2014, but didn't quite mm -hmm. go as you mm -hmm. had expected. What did you learn about yourself from that experience? Yeah, so uh, I learned a lot. Um, I'd actually started a, a small company before this. It was sort of it's called TMP Media. It was a digital agency. Essentially, I was doing web development, videography, branding, and 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 that sort of thing. Marketing services for small businesses and solopreneurs, and both with that, um, and I think partially with OneBase. Uh, again, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't know the problem that I was passionate enough about to spend all of my time thinking about and building. And so I was sort of always nerdy and techie growing up. So it was easy for me to just translate hobbies and interests into something that generated money for me. So building websites and, and designing logos and brands and things like that. Um, and just realized that I was just you know, working on other people's passions. And um, that's what happened with TMP. I sort of winded it down. Um, 
And that's when I came up with the idea for one base and, and one base came out of me joining a company um, in this transition period that I had. I was working part-time while I was at McMaster. And when I was onboarded to that company, um, I recognized this issue of, of not being able to access the knowledge and documentation that I needed to be productive, right? The things that I needed to get up to speed within that organization and within my role in particular. And so, um, sort of throughout the end of university um, and shortly after I graduated, we were working on this company called OneBase for a couple of years. And as you pointed out, it didn't, it didn't sort of, it didn't work. Um, and, and the reason it wor didn't work is that we recognized that um, we were really excited about this problem and it didn't validate the market. We didn't know who we were building it for. We didn't know um, uh, exactly what that business model looked like um, and how we would sell it. And, and so I learned a lot about validating ideas before you put a lot of effort into them. Um, and it really taught me, um, you know, how to be tenacious, uh, or, or taught me that I was tenacious and, and to flex that muscle, um, and, and to be iterative and, and, and open-minded in, in how I'm thinking about problems and, and going to market with different products. So tell us about Obi and where you think it's going to go in the next two to three years. Yeah, so Obi is the company I'm working on now, and Obi came out of OneBase. So we're solving a very similar problem of being able to access the knowledge and the answers that you need to common questions while you're at work. Um, but the difference with Obi from OneBase is that um, we recognized that there was a different workflow that we needed to solve for. So instead of just creating yet another place for companies to put their information and yet another place for employees within organizations to have to go to to find information, OB is actually intelligently bringing this information and these answers that already exist within the organization to uh, employees and where they're working and where questions are actually happening already. And so with OB, we've had a, quite, a, quite an interesting ride. Um, we were accepted into uh, the 500 Startups Accelerator program in um, San Francisco, California in 2017. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get a few um, angel investors uh, to, to seed our, our, our company. And it's been, you know, almost four years of um, getting market validation, getting some really cool customers. Um, like Intuit and Cvent and and some some really large customers that that we're working with today, um, and we're really just trying to build a really big company around a problem that we're really really uh, passionate about solving. So if I'm correct, I think you're in San Fran you're in the San Francisco area in the Bay Area, but is the company based in in Hamilton? It is. So, yeah. So yes. we're yeah. So how do you yeah, man how do you manage that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's um, well now everyone has to manage companies. True, way, true. So, it would be a different um, answer, I guess. You know, before March the thirteenth. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, we are headquartered in Hamilton, 
Um, we have uh, a couple employees in Hamilton, a couple employees here in Canada, and we've got some some contractors and um, and some teams that we work with on a contractual basis uh, around the world. Um, you know, remote work is an interesting topic. It's one that our problem actually or our product uh, helps solve. So it's it's one that we're very familiar with. You know, OB enables teams to be able to. Uh, find the things that they're looking for from wherever they are and it enables them to not have to go and shoulder tap colleagues and pick up the phone and call people when they have questions. So it's something that I think we were really in a good position for ourselves to transition into. But, you know, I believe um, that there are certain things that you can't replace uh, physical um, interaction with. And so that's been tough. You know, I think um, rooting the team in a really strong culture has been challenging and, and really important, um, uh, particularly as, as we scale, um, making sure everyone's happy and everyone is feeling all right. Um, getting those temperature checks is, is difficult. You don't get that physical um, interaction every day with everyone um, and, and to understand really how someone's feeling. So that's something that's really top of mind for me. And then just sort of passive collaboration, right? So um, if we're working on a product feature, for example, if I'm in a place physically with someone, I can just grab them and say, hey, why don't we hit a whiteboard and we talk about this and work on that. And we've got beautiful tools, right, that helps us with this. Are all of our project management tools, we've got Zoom, we've got all of these things that allow us to do this. Um, but it does remove some of the serendipity in collaboration and, and building products and teams. And so those are, those are challenges to overcome and, and things that we're thinking about a lot. So, I mean, you know, you're working remotely, your company is helping companies solve, you know, challenges that they have in this environment. Mm -hmm. So put your procrastinator hat on, like, where do you think, like, where do you think the future of remote is? Like when we see the end, like, of, you know, eventually the pandemic will end and people will go back to I don't know what, what what kind of normal it will be out of this. So just some sort of taking the landscaping where you are, where you're in the, you know, the heart of innovation and 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 trends. What what do you think is gonna be, you know, what is the future of the workplace? It's a good question. It's a really important question. Um so future of the workplace. Um I think with remote specifically, we People want a hybrid. We've done the data on, a, on this um, internally. We've also, there's plenty of companies that have done this since March. Um, you know, people want optionality. And I think that that's unfortunately the most dangerous um, option of all of the different flavors of remote working. And so what I mean by hybrid is people want to spend two days at the office, three days at home, gives them flexibility. The challenge with this is we we have companies, successful companies. Um, there's a company called GitLab. There's a company called Trello. Um, there's there's a lot of great examples we can point to with companies that have thousands of employees that are all remote, and they and they've been all remote since day one, and they point to <laughs> this hybrid model and say, hey, hold on a second. That's not hybrid remote being sort of flex remote is not the same as being all remote. When you're all remote, you level the playing field. Mm -hmm. That thing I was talking to you about, about uh, 
siloing information and conversations and collaboration. That's tricky in hybrid because what happens if I come to the office one day, I happen to be collaborating on this product feature um, and Karen's on the team, but Karen decided she wanted to stay home that day so that she can be more flexible with her work-life balance. And now all of a sudden Karen wasn't a part of that serendipitous conversation. So I think that's some of the challenge. Um, I think we will probably have to figure out hybrid because that's just where the market wants to go. I think we will see a lot of um, location-based um, hubs for companies. So sort of long gone the days of just this one central location for organizations. I think you're going to see a resurgence in things like WeWork and these co-working spaces where you can have small teams in these pockets of places where they want to live and they want to work and they can get away from the home, but they can have the flexibility of not having to go to one central place or live in one specific city. So I think we're going to see a lot of that on the remote side. I have strong opinions loosely held in that in that uh, regard i think we're listening just as much as we're trying to figure it out ourselves i do think on the technology side i think that organizations are going to anchor themselves around um, a modern work operating system so if you've heard of platforms like slack or you you I think Big Master uses Microsoft Teams. There's going to be these operating systems for work that centralize our work um, so that we can be remote, hybrid, or otherwise. Yes, I'm a big fan of Slack. We use Slack. Even though we use Microsoft Teams as the institution, our team's been using Slack for quite a number of years. And it, you know, innovations like that really do change work. So you're exactly. starting to hear people as in, now that I think we know that there's going to be a vaccine and well, there is a vaccine and when it slowly comes, you're, you're hearing a lot of the hybrid. Um, yes. I lead a group of people that I'm happy to do that, but I I'm, I'm in the same place. Like, how am I going to make this work? If yeah. you know, how am I, do I have to say every Tuesday, everybody has to be in um, right? and every Thursday, and then you can decide if you want to work like those things we if you had asked me a year ago, I'd be like, we would never be having that conversation at a university. Right. So it's changing the core of huge institutions that never would have thought about people working from home. Definitely. It's accelerated us a decade, at least, on, on some of this thinking. So the problems are going to have to be solved. Um, I think that there's still some of them are still in their infancy. So we're, li we're listening just as much as we're trying to figure it out. So you chose um, McMaster and then um, went to the school uh, business in your first year, but then you made a switch to sociology. Um, mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that, that switch and um, you know, how you think your sociology degree has helped you as you've headed out into the world. Yeah, to be frank, you know, I obviously being an entrepreneur, I thought the natural degree for me to get was, was in business. Um, I, I was really liking the program in the first year. Um, unfortunately I did not do well in calculus, which would have, was no surprise to myself. And so at the time, I, I believe there was a, a one course, um, fail, uh, rule where you, they, you wouldn't be allowed, uh, in the program any longer. So, uh, truth be told, I looked at my degree on it and I looked at the highest mark I had and it happened to be sociology. So I chose that. Um, I ended up enjoying some of the subject matter. Um, you know, just learning about the interaction between individuals and groups, I think, you know, partially 
helps one just prepare to interact with people on a day-to-day basis as I do. Um, but I think more than that, the university experience for me was uh, just about growing up and going through the motions of starting and completing something really important, um, meeting people. I was very, always very introverted and very closed off growing up. And you, the university environment is, is one that sort of throws you into that deep mm-hmm. end. And I think that helps, helps me tremendously. I think probably more than, than any of the sort of scholastic matter, uh, if it were. Do you still get nervous going to ask, you know, an angel investor for some money? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, coming out of university, definitely. But now, um, you know, I feel just like a, like a punching bag. You can't, you can't, I've been told no so many times that I'm not afraid (laughs) of, of those conversations at all anymore. Yeah. That, so do you find that hard? Like I'm just, you know, like you're starting a company and like, it's, it's hard to hear your no all the time. Like, so how do you, how do you manage that? Like, how do you manage that with your own sort of well, well being? It is tough. Yes. We've had ups and downs here. I think that's part of the reason I'm so passionate about the over glorification of entrepreneurship, because it really isn't as sexy as people want to portray it. You know, when, just to give you an anecdote, um, pertaining to your question about just raising money from investors. Um, in 2017, when we were graduating out of this startup accelerator program, we decided we were going to try and raise additional capital, as most companies do in that, in that stage coming out of those programs. Um, and I had, I don't have the math in front of me, but over 150 meetings that resulted in no's. And I just, I think because I have this innate sort of tenacity um, in me and I, and I was, I think, more obsessed with the problem than that we were trying to solve that we are, are solving today than raising money or, or, or being rich or anything like that. I was so obsessed with solving the problem that I just took all of those things as learnings and it, they were just fuel to the fire of just continuing on Uh, obviously at some point you're a glutton for punishment and (laughs) you're not getting anywhere and you have to you have to pivot but um i just took it as wow okay these are all amazing learnings and i grew up so much as a person as an entrepreneur and as a business owner so what what piece of advice would you offer to someone who's going to be graduating in the spring of 2021 so I actually get this question a lot just from from peers and colleagues and things like that because not a lot of people do know what they want to do mm-hmm. um, and even people that do want to know do want to do know what they want to do like I did are wrong about maybe the flavor of that thing and so I think the only thing that I could say um, for advice would be to try a bunch of things and do that quickly um because time is our greatest asset and i don't think anyone knows what is good for you but you and unfortunately you might not know that until you've tried a bunch of things and i think that's what sets some people apart from others is that they have us 
you know, they have that tolerance for risk. Um, even, even small risk, right? We all, that's a relative term. But I think if, if you try things, get a job, try and become an actor, try and, you know, plant trees in Alberta or what, whatever, you know, whatever you think that you might want to do, just go do it. And then you're going to quickly learn whether or not you like it. And then you, you realize, oh, hang on a second. I could do something else. You know, um, it's not a crisis. I can actually try something else. And I still have a plenty of time. Yes. So what's next for Chris? Where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I'll be an entrepreneur <laughs> in some way, <laughs> shape or form. Um, I'd like to either have, you know, a sec- successful exit under my belts, um, either, you know, selling the company to, to a larger company um, or well on our way to building a really large company. Um, so, you know, hundreds of employees, um, uh, millions of dollars in annual revenue. That's sort of where I'm aiming. Um, but just, you know, I wake up every morning. I, I'm absolutely thrilled and love what I do. So just still doing what I'm doing, just being an entrepreneur and, and pursuing a, a problem that I'm really excited about. All right. So we like to end our podcast with some rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Favorite memory of McMaster. So ones that I can share. <laughs> um, yes, I have those too. I would not share publicly. <laughs> yeah. um, I think I spent a lot of time in the pulse and um, I had a, I had lots of fun um, at the, the McMaster gym and, and, and doing so with, with some friends that I met at McMaster that I'm still friends with today. So I think those are some of my favorite memories. What book are you reading right now? I'm not a huge book reader, believe it or not. Um, I do listen to uh, podcasts. Are you, are you a podcast person? Yeah, I kind of like, I. this is a cliche answer. I like Joe Rogan a lot. He's sort of wide in his topics that he talks yes. about. And so it's a good way to just, you know, consume a bunch of different things. He's very um, verbose. He, his podcasts are long, if I remember. They are. They can be three or four hours at, exactly. at, at a well, It's time. like reading a book. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, what's your idea of perfect happiness? Freedom. So financial and physical. Um, I, and when I say that, I mean you not having to worry about those things. What's your best COVID purchase? I've, I've, I've tried a few things. Um, this is probably going to be, um, indicative of, or this is going to be embarrassing, but I think my favorite purchase is, is, uh, I bought a Peloton and I didn't want to buy a Peloton. I didn't want to spend that kind of money, but they kept closing the gym. And as I mentioned earlier, that's partially my anchor yep. and it has been the best investment. I, I tried everything else, yoga mats, kettlebells. They yep. just didn't scratch the itch. So this helped. That's good. Well, you know, you got to do that. Um, What's your personal motto? Keep on keeping on. Okay. And one song that best describes your time at McMaster. (laughs) Uh, Up Against the Ropes, August Burns Red. No one will know that except for, I'm sure, a small few. So. Yeah, that's over my head right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> I interviewed someone this morning and they said a song that I knew. He was shocked that I knew this song, but I'm like, well, it was a song <laughs> from the 80s. So I kind of remember that one. But uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> yes, I, I will have to look up your song. Okay. Yeah. Well, Chris, this has been great. A lovely conversation. And, uh, you know, you're doing such a fabulous job. It's just, it's, you know, one thing that's always heartening is when you talk to graduates is how much they love their time at McMaster. You're doing so well. You're representing the university so um, well in your own success. And um, this is, this is great. And, you know, hope you keep connected and we're going to keep watching to see how you, uh, how you progress. I appreciate that very much, Karen. I thank you for, for having me on. It was, uh, it was a fun conversation to have.